Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. I'm excited. We, we titled this new series 40, and our next one is titled 41 because we're going to talk about the next 41 plus years. But in this series, we want to look back over our last 40 years. I want you to reminisce on what God's done in your life, whether you were part of believers for that whole time or not just how faithful God is. And we title this message Preparation because that's what I can look back and say, that God prepared us, God grew us, God showered us with mercy, he showered us with love, and he just showed himself to be awesome during the time, even though we were not perfect, even though I was not perfect. And so in the Bible, the the number 40 is really important. 40 is a demarcation for a generation, And so God looks at a generation as 40 years. It doesn't mean they died at 40, but that's how he demarcates one generation to the next. We're going to look at some cool 40 stories, and we're going to look at how God moved in people's lives. And at the same time, we're going to remember what God's done in our life, and I'm going to encourage you concerning what God wants to do in your life and how he wants to move in all of our lives. So many of you will look back and say, yeah, I can think about God doing this in my life. God doing that. But for many of you too, I want to encourage you that I don't care what you're going through right now. God wants to be God in your life. And I had this big idea for this lesson. It's what I want us to walk out understanding more clearly than ever. And it goes like this. We don't have to be perfect for God to show himself powerful. And this is so important for us to understand. And as I look over the last 40 years, this is one of the thoughts that comes to my mind in my imperfection, with all my rough edges, uh, with my hard-headedness, with all my immaturities, God still showed himself powerful in our church's life. And I look back and I celebrate that. And I've watched him do it for each and every one of us in this place. And a couple stories came to mind. And uh, one I want to share at this time, just imagine me at 24 I think the cards they gave out, you, you see me at that age. I was sporting a mustache for over 10 years, guys. And uh, uh, it just, I don't know, it was the style at that time. And so we came back, Gina and I, we were engaged to be married. We weren't married yet. And she lived with my grandma and I lived with my parents. And we started Believers in my brother Jim's basement as a Bible study. And it was Wednesday nights. And we had about 40 people coming on Wednesday nights And I immediately began to look for a building because we needed a building where we could meet on Sundays. And so I remember looking at the Robbins Theater. They just had a cool event there uh, last night with Mike Francine. Francine, And uh, at the time, it was empty. The parking wasn't great for a church. And then it was going to cost about $1.5 million to get it up to par. So 40 people in the basement, we couldn't handle that, right? Warren City Schools had one of their buildings that came open. It was the old Morgandale School on Northwest Todd Avenue, and they had boarded it up. The demographics shifted, and kids were being bused to other places. They didn't have enough kids in that neighborhood. Since then, they've torn it down and built a beautiful new building, and the demographics came back to that that area. But at the time, it was a boarded-up building. We wanted to rent it 24-7, and I had to call the business manager for Warren City Schools. His name was Nick Angelo. And Nick was old enough to be my dad. And we talked on the phone. He says, Joe, we want 4000 a month rent. 
And then the utilities are 48,000 a year or 4,000 a month averaged out. That was eight grand with 40 people in the basement. That's quite a step, right? I had two things that were going on in my life. One was good, one was bad. Uh, one is I had an entrepreneur spirit or gift. And so I'm willing to step out of the boat and walk on water. I don't even worry about failing. That's okay, I guess, if, if you hear from heaven. And uh, the other was self-confidence. That was really bad because I felt like I can do anything and everything. And God had to take me from self-confidence to God-confidence. I can do all things through Christ, right? And, and that was part of that 40-year process. So Nick said, why don't you meet me up here on a Saturday? And Gina and I were both free. Gina said, can I come? I said, sure. Now, I didn't know what to expect. Her and I had not done much together up to that point. And uh, she is and was an extreme extrovert. That means if she meets you for the first time, she's going to be sarcastic. She's going to crack jokes. And I am an extreme introvert. And she, Nick's walking us through the building. She's being sarcastic, cracking jokes, and I'm horrified. And I'm like, this isn't professional. This is terrible. And so when Nick wasn't looking, I'm like, this to Dina. And the young Gina looked like, what, what? I'm not going to change anything, buddy. And uh, so I'm thinking, I had a deal plan. I was going to tell Nick, why don't you give us the first six months for 2000 instead of 4000 And I was so excited about it. I thought, he's going to take this deal. And so we get to the end. We're, we're talking about signing on a dotted line. And I said, Nick, you know, we're brand new. We have 40 people in the basement. Can you give me the first six months at 2000 instead of 4000 Today, I would say, hey, um, how about free rent for a year and we'll take the utilities off your hand, right? Would have negotiated totally different, but I was 24 years old and brand new, never started a church. And uh, I, I gave him my deal and Nick just looked at me, said, Joe, it's a good thing you brought your wife. He said, if you would have came by yourself, I would tell you, no, we don't need the money. I would have told you, no, 4000 or nothing. He goes, but I like your wife. She reminds me of one of my daughters, and I'm going to give you this deal for her, not for you. And I, I look back and I think, even in my immaturity and, and, and thinking I know everything, God still showed himself powerful, right? He had to use my wife, but he showed himself powerful, man. And I think of the children of Israel. Um, Remember, they come out of Egypt. God delivers uh, them. Historians say there was over a million of them. And God says, why don't you take a leader from each of the 12 tribes and send them in to spy out the land of Canaan, which God promised to give them. They came back. 10 of them had a bad report. And they said, hey, everything God said about that land is true. It's beautiful. The produce is amazing. But there are giants in that land. There are walled cities. And we are like grasshoppers in their sight. We can't take them. And there's, the people are all stirred up. So two of them, Joshua and Caleb, stand up and say, yeah, that's all true, but God is God. We have God on our side. God can give it to us. And the people wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb, and they all went with these other 10 spies, and then God showed up. And I want to just show you what happened when God showed up. This is Numbers 14.34. Because your men explored the land for 40 days... You must wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Can you imagine? It's like a deserty area. Imagine sand and desert, right? A year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sins. Then you will discover what it is like to have me, God, for an enemy. That's not positive at all. Verse 35, I, the Lord, have spoken. I will certainly do this thing to every member of the community who has conspired against me. They will be destroyed here in the wilderness, and here they will die. What a sentence. So God said, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 
years. Again, that's a generation, right? And here's how it worked out. If you were 21 or older, you only had 40 years to live. Wouldn't that be a bummer? You're dying at 61, right? And, and uh, if you're 20 and under, I'm, I'm going to allow you to go into the promised land. So all the kids that were born in, over that 40 years, they all got to go in. If they were 20 and under, they got to go in. But everybody else died in the wilderness. And when I think about this, a couple things come to mind. One is, you know, God delivered them out of Egypt, but what did he have to do over that 40 years? He had to take Egypt out of them. And doesn't God have to do that in our life? And the Bible talks about us renewing our minds, right? And just beginning to think like God does. And I know when I came to Christ at 19, it took decades for me to renew my mind and take Egypt or the world out of me. But God was so good during all that time. And that's what we want to talk about today, how good God is and how he works with us, even in our imperfections. We don't have to be perfect for God to show himself powerful. And I got to thinking about this, and here's a a phrase that I wrote down. Even in their disobedience and immaturity, God supernaturally provided for them. And do you know they tested God 10 times? We'll we'll find out what that means in a moment. I've done it quite a bit in my life over the years. Um, They rebelled over and over and over again. Yet, guys, God provided for them. And I want to show you some of his provision. Here's a cool scripture, Exodus 13, 21, 22. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud uh, to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from the people. So I want you to imagine there was this huge cloud And in the daytime, it covered over a million Israelites. It protected them from that hot sun that was coming down. And then at night, it turned into this big pillar fire, and it kept them warm, and it kept animals away, wild animals. It kept enemies away. And what God would do, it was really fascinating. They might camp out in a place, and when they had the tabernacle, they'd open all that up. They'd, they'd, They'd be in their tents. They'd be camped out. God might have them there for a month. He might have them there for two months. But if it was the daytime, the cloud would start moving. They blow the trumpet. That means pack it up and let's just follow the cloud. And the cloud might have went on for a week and they're just following the cloud. It could be 3 a.m. in the morning and the pillar of fire is there and then it begins to move. So they blow the trumpet and then they got to get up 3 a.m. in the morning, pack all their tents, pack up the tabernacle and follow. And God was trying to show them, trying to teach them how to be led by the Spirit of God without the Holy Spirit being inside of them. And what amazes me as I read this text is as rebellious as they were, God provided protection day and night, and God led them day and night. One way or another, he got them to where they needed to be. Here's another one. This one's very interesting to me. It says in Exodus 13 and verse 11, Then the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them, in the evening you will have meat to eat, and in the morning you will have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And they just finished complaining. And and, and I just want you and I to try to put ourselves in their shoes. They come out of Egypt, and here's how God fed them, supernaturally. He had this manna, this bread-type food, fall on the ground every morning, six days a week. And on Friday, they were allowed to gather twice as much, And that way on the Sabbath, they wouldn't have to work or go out and gather. 
and God didn't allow it to rot if they did that on Fridays. And he just kept feeding them, and they had all the food they needed. It was like the perfect food. But I sit and I think about that, and I think, I probably would have complained more than them because I don't know how many of you did the Atkins diet, but I did it a couple decades ago, and I was so excited about the Atkins diet because I got to have bacon and sausage and eggs every morning for breakfast. I thought, I, you know, at one time I thought they were unhealthy. Now I'm going to eat them. And then I had chicken wings naked, of course, for lunch, and then hamburgers and whatever, steak and, and chicken at night. And I thought, this is going to be the best diet ever. And I was on it for about a week, and all I could think about is, I want some bread, and I want it now. I miss bread. And so just think, every morning, just eating, every morning, this manna. And so they began to complain, said, God, we don't have any meat. You you know, we're tired of this manna. So God says, I'm going to do something really supernatural. I'm going to bring quell into your camp every night, six days a week, every night. And I'm going to cause it to just fall on the ground. And the Bible says a strong wind came, blew the quell in. And I'm sure God did a decade or two of, of, of having them increase their population, but it still wouldn't have been enough. He had to miraculously create quell. But can you imagine every morning the man is there, every night the quell comes uh, into their camp. And guys, they're eating now meat and bread. They're a little happier. But God did this in their rebellion. And, and God did this even though they weren't perfect. In our imperfection, he shows himself powerful. And I just think about how God supplied their needs. It's absolutely amazing. And another story came to mind. We're in our first building for about four years, and we were growing out of it. We had to find another building. So this building where we stand right now, before the sanctuary was here, uh, before the office complex, it was the old Holland Morgandale Elementary School and they, they boarded it up. They wanted to sell it. Their demographics shifted. They wanted $750,000 for it. And we talked with, my, I talked with the board, and we thought, it's worth four fifty. We're going to have to put a lot of money into it and so on and so forth, the boilers, everything else. And so we offered them four fifty. I did. I called their superintendent, Nick Makris. I said, we'll give you four fifty. And so he called me a couple of days later. He said, Joe, I have an answer for you. Come in and have coffee with me. And so I'm nervous because... Guys, I'm, I'm, I'm only like 29 years old. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm a nervous wreck. And um, I go into his office. I sit down. He goes, Joe, I want to tell you a story. I said, I like stories, especially if they have good endings. Uh, I love a good ending story. He said, Here, here's what happened. He said, my plans were to tell you no, 750 or nothing. He says, but let me tell you a story. He said, last night I'm at home. My wife said, did you sell that Morgandale building yet? I said, nah, this believer's church wants it, um, but I'm going to tell them no today. They want it for 450. I'm going to tell them 750 or nothing. She goes, oh, oh. She goes, who's the pastor? He goes, Joe Caminetti. She goes, Joe. He goes, you know Joe? She goes, do I know Joe? She goes, I love Joe. She goes, uh, she was the guidance counselor aide at Howland. She was the secretary, and I was an aide sixth period and I had coffee with her five days a week my whole senior year. And I would sit there and have coffee, and then she'd send me on errands to go get kids out of class. And I was a stinky bad kid, but I knew how to act like an angel in front of adults. And so <laughs> she loved me. I enjoyed having coffee with her. She was old enough to be my mom, and we just had a great time. And she looked at her husband. Here's what she said. She said, I like Joe, and you're going to sell him the building for $450,000. And I didn't know that that would have been his wife. 
He goes, no, I'm not. She goes, yes, you are. She said, you tell your leadership team 450. He's a good kid and you need to help him. And so he comes, he, he, I'm sitting there and he goes, I came in this morning. I told my leadership team, mama said 450. We're going to sell it for 450. And, and God blessed us again. I thought in all my imperfections. And then what is God, what is it with God using wives to help me out, right? My wife, somebody else's wife. But guys, I look at stories like that and I think in our imperfection, in my immaturity, with all my fear, God showed himself powerful. And I know some of you could stand up and talk about God doing that in your lives. This next story is very interesting to me. I think most guys would like it. And it goes like this, Deuteronomy 29.5. For 40 years, I led you through the wilderness, yet your clothes and your sandals did not wear out. Think about that. They were out of style 40 years later. But 40 years, those sandals... Deserty climate, rocky, uh, you know, rocky areas they're walking on, sand they're walking on. It's like sandblasting. God supernaturally made sure their sandals never wore out in all their rebellion, all the times they tested God. He made sure it never happened. And then their clothes, think about washing them over and over. They never wore out. And I think us guys, most of us, we'd say, man, that would be great. I wouldn't have to buy new underwear for 40 years. It's like... You know, because I don't know about you, but every now and then my wife says, I think it's time. I go, they're just getting comfortable. I don't think it's time, honey. I think I'd like to keep them another couple of years. But they have holes in them. I don't care, honey. I'm going to keep them. And, and I thought, boy, that would be 40 years of bliss, only in that area, you know. But uh, guys, they didn't wear out. And I'm just thinking, if you read the Old Testament, they were rebellious as could be. And yet God provided even their clothing. It was all supernatural. And then... As all this is going on, and God's being God in such an incredible way, all of a sudden they're thirsty. And I get it. You know, you're in a desert climate and you're thirsty. And we're going to notice this. Even in their disobedience and immaturity, God supernaturally fought for them. And I want you to see the setup to this. It's an amazing setup. Exodus 17.1. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, encamped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. I get it. They're thirsty. Verse 2. So the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water so that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? What, why do you test the Lord? And I, I want us to walk out understanding that phrase here in a moment. I'll open it up. But I think, boy, there are times in my life when I really have tested God and I've, I've asked that question, God, why are you allowing this to happen? God, why didn't you show up? God, where are you? God, you've let me down. And that's what's going on here. It goes on to say, verse 3, but the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses and said, why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. Now, a better way to approach Moses would have been, you know, Moses, that staff, it's, it's worked some miracles. Um, what do you say? You pray and get some water for us, right? We know God can do it, but, but no, they were like, they were catastrophizing at the highest level. And I've done that so many times in my life. First four. So my, Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what am I to do with this people? A little more and they will stone me. So they're ready to riot. And God says this, verse five, then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff which, uh, with which you struck the Nile and go. 
And the staff represents the empty cross of Christ. I, I use this text when we taught the series on altars and we, we talked about Jehovah uh, Nisi, the Lord is our banner. And we'll, we'll close with that thought. But guys, it's a type of the victory Jesus won at Calvary. Um, and it represents the empty cross. And so the cross is empty. What does that mean? Well, God put our punishment, our rebellion on Jesus. He died three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. He left it. He buried it there. He raised up from the dead. And what did he do with us Christians? As soon as you accept him, he seats us together with him. That's the positional place you sit with him in heavenly places. It's the victory. And he goes on and he he says this in verse six, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and the water will come out of it so that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Water gushed out, uh, gave all the water they needed for over a million people. And then the next part's kind of negative, but positive too. It says in verse seven, then he named a place Maza and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord saying, here's what it means to test God. Is the Lord among us or not? And I start looking over our 40-year history, and a story came to mind where I tested God quite a bit. Very hard-headed, very strong-willed, and yet I was convinced I was doing what I needed to do. But it's when we wanted to build this room that we're standing in and uh, the office complex. And so uh, we were only allowed to put 10,000 square feet on on this land, and so we needed a variance from Holland. And I thought, they're going to give us a variance. We had to go talk to the three trustees. I knew all the guys. And I thought, this will go pretty easy. But I get there, and there's over 400, close to 500 people there. And all the news agencies were there, 21, 27, 33. And I'm like, this is a big deal. I did not prepare my mind for a big deal like this. So they get through some little business, and then we come up. And they asked me to make a presentation. I make the presentation, and I'm a nervous wreck. And then the neighbors began to stand up and say how they don't want this thing built, and uh, they were against it. And being a homeowner, I understand you want your neighborhood to stay the way you bought it, you know, a certain way. I got all that, but I thought, we're going to make this place more beautiful. They have to say yes, and God's on my side, and it's going to be a yes. And then Howland Township said no, and, and they, they said, no, you're not allowed to do it. So I, I dug in. I thought, I'm not lo- I hate to lose. I don't know if you know that about me, but w- when our kids were little, uh, I would beat them in all the games we played, and Gina would look at me and say, can't you let your five-year-old win? And i go, they've got to learn life is tough sooner or later, honey. <laughs> It's a tough life, and I'm not going to baby these kids. But I, I just literally couldn't lose. I tried to golf, and I, and, and I decided after a year, year or two, I, I'm not going to golf anymore because I couldn't win one time. Now, if I could win once in a while, I don't mind losing if I can win once in a while, but I could never win, so I, I gave it up. I thought, I'm not going to go out there and get killed every single day. So um, I took it to the uh, judge here, the local judge in town, and I present my case, and he just looks at me and he gives us rolling. We're going with Howland. He goes, Howland's right. You're wrong. That's too big. Don't build it. And now I'm really upset. So I take it up to the appellate court level. I, I went ahead and filed. And I thought, I'll take it to the Ohio Supreme Court. Uh, of course, they wouldn't take it. But um, the appellate court judges on it. And they agree with Howland. 
and I'm so mad, and here's what's going on in my life. I'm saying, God, where are you? God, why are you allowing this to happen? God, why aren't you showing up? God, why are you letting me down? You're the God that can show me favor with these judges. And, and so I remember coming to a place of being totally broken. And I remember as I was at this broken place, just as a place of being totally broken, I remember coming to a place where I said, you know what, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm blaming you. I'm saying, why didn't you show up? I'm going to humble myself right now before you. And whatever you want to do, you do it. And I'm going to trust the victory you won at Calvary is victory enough for you to get us in this building. And a couple days later, within a week, I received a phone call from Mr. Emmanuel. um, And he was the administrator of Highland Township. He said, Joe, why don't you come in and see me? And I didn't know him at the time. I said, okay. And so we're sitting, we're drinking some coffee and we're talking. And he says, you know, you're never going to get this building built unless you change your strategy. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, it's too big. He goes, it's huge. The sanctuary had balconies and it was way bigger than this. We had an educational wing. He goes, cut off the educational wing, bring the building in. He says, and I promise you, we will say, okay. But he said, then what I need you to do is take an olive branch to your neighbors. I want you to have coffee and cake and cookies, bring them over, show them the new concepts when you get to drawings done. And he says, get them on your side. I said, I don't know if I can get them on your side. He goes, Joe, you can do it. You can get them on your side. So we did all that, took months, and I'm still trying to collect money for it. We had a couple million in the bank, and and I'm telling our people, even if we don't get the building, we're going to go buy land and do do it somewhere else. It's going to stay in the building fund. And so I get the neighbors over here, and it was a very hostile environment. I didn't expect that. I didn't see it coming. But God gave me a grace, and I was able to take everything they threw at me. They were all upset. But by the time I showed them the new concept, at the end, they just looked at me, and they said, you know what, if you take that to Howland Township, we'll go with you, and we'll tell them we're okay with it. And we went ahead and did that. Howland said yes. The neighbors said yes. But I look back at that story, and I think, what a hard head. It was over two years, maybe three years that I went through the court system. And I thought all I had to do is surrender and look to God and say, you know what, God, I'm wrong. You're right. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to be God and to move in this place. And so listen to verse eight, guys. It says, then Amalek came and fought. This is right after God gave them water against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And I remember God opening my eyes up to this later on and showing me, Joe, that's what you did. You start looking at the cross. You start looking at the victory and you let me guide you and you let me lead you instead of being stubborn and hard-headed. And I said, well, God, you know, that's how you made me. It's a good thing. But no, no, it's not, right? So it says, as we read on verse 10, Joshua did just as Moses told him and fought against Amalek and Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So they're holding, Moses is holding uh, the staff up. It says in verse 11, So it came to pass, when Moses held his hands up, Israel prevailed. But when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. And I think, boy, that's how my life has been. I look over the 40 years. God had to grow me, prepare me. But there were so many things I could have gotten through quicker if I just surrendered 
and looked at the staff, looked at the empty cross and said, God, you know what? You're the God that won the victory. I'm going to trust you to do this thing. So listen to verse 12. And Moses' hands were heavy. So, uh, so they took a stone and put it under him and sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. So his hands were steady until sunset. And Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And I like the fact that Aaron and Hur had to hold his hand, hands up. You know, he had to hold the, the staff up because Aaron's a type of pastor, type of fivefold minister. And so we have weekends like this where I'm exhorting and I'm encouraging. I'm trying to get you to look at the staff, right? Uh, just like I needed God to bring me to that place. And then Hur was married to, to Miriam, Moses' sister. He's a type of Christian. And I really feel, guys, a couple things here. I really feel... God needs you to help other people just reinvent their approach, right? And begin to look at that cross and the victory that Jesus already won. Some of you need to do it yourselves, but God wants to use you to encourage other people. Hey, don't give up. Don't test God. Don't ask where God's at. Don't, don't dig in right where you're at. Ask God for a different strategy and just look to heaven and let God do what only God can do because God wants to do amazing things in all of our lives. And I think... Boy, I wasted two or three years, but eventually we built what we're in, and God, God did an amazing thing, but I had to surrender and look to that cross. And then I taught a series called Altars, and, and, and I use this text, and I love this next thing. Many of you may remember Exodus 17, 15, 16. And Moses built an altar right after this all happened, right after the victory, right after the water and the rebellion. He built an altar and named it, The Lord is My banner. The Hebrew is Jehovah Nisi. And Nisi or banner means victory. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my victory. And he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. That's the type of the devil. That's their enemy. And guys, God has made you a promise. He'll fight in your behalf from generation to generation. He'll fight in your behalf whatever battle you're fighting. And what you and I want to do is we want to come to the place where we stop saying, God, why aren't you showing up? God, why didn't you help me? Hey, what happened, happened. But God, from this point on, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to look to that cross. I'm going to allow you to be God. I'm going to allow you to open the doors that need to be opened in my life. And you and I serve a God that already won the victory. And we can have victory in our life because he's won the victory. So I want to ask you a question over in Borman online, TCI, our TV audience here in Warren, are you excited that he is our victory? And can we give it up to God? Say, thank you, Jehovah. Jehovah Nisi, our victory. We are so excited about that victory. Uh, it's a good time to pray. Uh, bow our heads, close our eyes. And, and, and I believe God wants all of us to get into an attitude of prayer here now. And for some of you, uh, you can look back on your life and just take this as a moment where you thank God for the victory. Thank God that he's been your victory in different battles in your life. And as we bow our heads, some of you, I just think this is an incredible day in your life where you say, you know what, Lord? Man, I'm going to stop asking why. And I'm just going to begin to let you be God in my life. And I'm surrendering. I'm looking at that empty cross and I'm going to allow you to work this thing out. And God's saying, I want to work it out and I will work it out in each and every one of your lives. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I really believe this is a God moment. And just a reminder, when I close today, 
There's altar workers coming up. They'll be up here to pray for you if you need prayer in any area of your life. So when I dismiss in Boardman, they'll be doing the same. TCI, they'll be doing the same. But for some of you, God wants to continue to minister to you while I go on for a couple moments here. And so I want to encourage you, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're in attitude of prayer. Let God speak to your heart. Let God be God. Maybe come up for prayer. Maybe you need some help and you need God to pray with you and for you. Then I want to speak to some that might be with us. You're not sure of your eternity. And boy, as I look over 40 years, one of the things that excites me, uh, two things excite me, Christians becoming disciples and people meeting Jesus. And it's just so exciting to see both. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Right now, I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm not asking you if you grew up in church. I'm not asking you if you came in here believing in God or, or not, or Borman or on TV. Here's what I'm asking. Can you remember a day in your life where you made it personal with Jesus? Because that's where everything changes. I was 19 when I made it personal with Jesus. And I saw him for who he is, the Christ, the son of the living God. That's how Peter saw him. That's how uh, Lydia saw him. And that's when God does a miracle in our hearts. And if you're listening right now and you say, you know what, Pastor Joe? I'm ready to accept Christ. I'm ready to call on his name. I'd like you to pray with me right now. Can all of us help them pray in Boardman here in Warren online? Help us pray online. Maybe some of you are praying for the first time. TCI, TV, help us pray. And, and I'd like you to say this after me. And if you're praying it for the first time, simply mean it. Say, Lord God, I realize I was born sin stained and I need a savior. I repent of my sins and I look to Jesus. Jesus, I believe you're the only way to heaven. I receive you this day as my savior and I declare you are Lord. I make a decision today to begin to follow you by reading the scriptures and fellowshipping with God's people. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc slash give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.